Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io and join today. Today, my guest is Raina Salman. Raina is an expert in the sales industry who is transforming the performance of sales teams worldwide. With a background in marketing and years of experience in enterprise-level B2B sales, she's established herself as a trusted partner for global organizations seeking to elevate their sales strategies and their execution. As the founder of Salmon Consulting, she collaborates with mid-size and Fortune 500 IT companies to create tailored sales strategies, develop compelling sales content, and deliver impactful training sessions. Beyond her consulting work, Salmon is a co-founder of WISE, Women in Sales Enablement, a thriving networking group connecting female sales enablement professionals from around the world. Through WISE, she facilitates the exchange of ideas and knowledge sharing among industry peers. She's recognized as one of the women making an impact in enablement by Sales Enablement Pro in 2022 and was named one of the top female sales practitioners by Sales Hacker in 2021. She has been a guest speaker at prestigious events like the Texas Conference for Women, Sales Enablement Society Conference, and the Competitive Marketing Summit. Raina, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, JR. I'm so excited. Yeah, absolutely. Good to get a chance to get to know you. Tell our audience a little bit about Salmon Consulting and the work that you do. So for your audience, my name is Raina Salmon and I lead Salmon Consulting. And really, we work with organizations to elevate their sales team's performance. And that is done through the strategy and then also the content tools and training to execute on that strategy. And who are the types of clients that you tend to work with and what kinds of services do you provide to them? Yeah, so I work GR with hyper growth in large IT organizations. And we look at the sales process and we provide them with content tools and training that will help them and address a gap within that sales process. And that could be in a form of a training, that could be in a form of simplifying or defining the sales process, that could be in a form of actually coaching. So it really depends on what we're trying to achieve and what problems are we trying to solve. Do you tend to focus on certain industries? Yeah. So we usually do mostly IT organizations. Is that because of your background? I started out in sales and sales consulting, serving the IT industry. However, I've been fortunate enough that I've sold in different industries in addition to IT, such as healthcare, higher eds, general nonprofit. So I got to experience selling in different industries, but I've been in selling into IT for a while. And is all the work for corporate clients or do you do anything for individuals as well? Yeah, so all of my work is for B2B. However, I do have some micro courses, Reina Sales Tip Series on Teachable that is available for consumers that they can purchase and that they can use, they have access to it. That's the way I wanted to scale and make sure that I'm 
taking care of these folks that just want a taste and they want to invest in themselves. How does that platform work for you in terms of generating additional business and revenue for you? Is it a small part or a bigger part? Small part. And usually I also use it for my own customers, right? So yeah. when I'm, I'm selling them a solution, that is part of that reinforcement process where I can package it. And if they don't have a learning management system, they mm. can leverage that as well. So you started this back in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. What led to you kind of breaking out on your own and going into the consulting practice? Yeah, man, it's been a while, right? 2017 seems like it just passed. I have sold in several industries, as I mentioned, and I've been in consulting prior to opening my own company. And as I was evaluating kind of the next phase of my career and wondered what I wanted to do, I'm an immigrant. I'm raised with entrepreneurs around me and not entrepreneurs in terms of the having a tech company. I was raised with folks that really worked hard in the restaurant business, in the car dealership business. So I saw the mm. hustle of being an entrepreneur. I saw the good. And I also thought saw the hard work and the challenges that come across. So it took me a while to want to do it. But once that time came about that hunger and that little immigrant hunger inside me, I was like, okay, maybe yeah. now it's time. How have you found the experience of being an entrepreneur? empowering, challenging, amazing, stressful, innovative. I mean, I think it's all of it, right? We can't just talk about the amazing time without also looking that it is challenging and you have to have the discipline and you have to believe in your why to be waking up every day and wanting to do it. Because it's very easy to sit in the background yeah. and say, well, I don't have a boss. I can go to the mall or I can go do an extra aerobic class. But the reality is you got to also have that discipline. Somebody described it to me recently is you have to have at least a little bit of crazy you know, to be willing to be an entrepreneur. I love it, right? It is that little bit of crazy. And, and that crazy gets you to think into the possibilities, into what's possible. And I think when you work on your own and you have your empower to do that, you can come up with some crazy ideas that are really helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that passion and that thinking about possibilities as opposed to all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. I mean, that's what I think fuels a lot of entrepreneurs is that they think more in terms of what can as opposed to what can't or what might not be. I agree. And you've got to be able also to give up some things, the stability of a corporate job, the paycheck that comes every month. you got to be able to also be realistic and recognize that there are times when you need to work hard and the yeah. ROI is going to come later. So what are your goals for the company over the next few years? To keep on scaling it, keep on growing. Part of what makes us successful is that I listen to my customers mm. and I actively listen. And then we create programs around that will help them. We collaborate with our customers. The minute you start thinking that you are the expert and stop mm. listening, we miss out. And so scaling our business, designing solutions that we keep moving forward, especially with AI and with what's coming up, how is that right. going to change the sales atmosphere? All of that is part of our growth strategies. So let's talk a little bit about the sales process. I know you talk about the art and the science of sales. I assume you have some cardinal rules that kind of underpin your approach to sales besides listening to your customers. What are your top do's and don'ts? So the do's is number one is put the customer at everything you do. The second thing is be disciplined, follow the sales process, trust the process. I think that comes with experience because when you don't trust it, then you end up seeing kind of the impact of not trusting the process. Deliver on your promise. I think at the end of the day, we're working with other human beings and there's a trust and there's a relationship that is formed. So are we delivering on our promises? Uh, also, 
always be prospecting. To me, the minute you stop prospecting is when your pipeline dries out. It may not dry out this quarter, but it will catch up with us. So that's something that I always, always talk to reps on is take control of your destiny. Always be prospecting. Also actively listen, as I mentioned, design solution that meet your customer's need and do the right thing. I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's really important that when you look back at what you left, you want to be proud of it. And doing the right thing is really critical in terms of, of being proud of what we're delivering to our customers. Yeah. Now, the don't, don't look at the customer as a number. They're people. I think we mm-hmm. tend to look at these Excel files and you've been, I've been in sales, I've been in leadership and you look at these, at the Excel files and you start looking at your quota and you're looking at them as numbers. That is one thing I don't believe in. I believe every person I work with, no matter how big the organization is, I'm not working with that organization. I'm working with that human that has a problem, that has an initiative that I want to be part of their success. Don't sell solutions you don't believe in. I think that's really important. If you don't believe in something, it shows across. They can see when we're faking it, right? And so yeah. make sure that you are selling something that you truly believe in it. Also, don't show up and throw up products. I think that we learn that as we start selling and as we start seeing the impact of selling a value to selling to the business outcomes instead of showing up and just talking about how great we are. Who wants to work with someone that all they do is talk about how great they are? Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, don't let go of your values. I think it's really important that there is non-negotiable and that you visit that. And I think in sales, we have to visit that because sometimes there's this deal and there's quota that we want to meet. We got to ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing? You've covered people being at the center of what you're talking about, I'm sure is one of the essences of the art. Are there other things that you would lump into the art of selling? Yeah, I think that's a great question. The art of selling. I think what makes you unique as a seller is an art. It's not just about your products. People are buying from you, JR. They're buying from Reina. So how are you showing up as a person? How are you connecting with people? How are you developing a relationship? What about your EQ, your emotional intelligence? All of this is, is unique to you as an individual, in my opinion. And where's the science come in? Oh, the science, right? The sales process, the tools that we have, the analytics that we have. All of this is part of that science, that predictive analytics, all of that is going to help us in helping that human and also in helping us growing our business. Besides the obvious, which would be salesforce.com, what are the other tools that are kind of your favorites so that you feel like have the ability to have the most impact for a sales organization? I think there's AI tools, for example, chat GPT, there is perplexity, there is AI genius, there is LinkedIn sales navigator. There's a lot of tools out there. What we need to do is to make sure that we are understanding how they work together and we're not just using tools because we want to use tools, right? At the end of the day, we got to think of it. How is this translating to our buyers? And are we using them to help them solve a problem, to be efficient, to be productive? There has to be a business case of why we're using these tools. Because sometimes you get into an organization and there are so many tools and they're disparate, right? They're just disconnected. And it ends up being a law of diminishing returns, right? The ROI is not there if the rep is trying to figure out, well, how does these all work together and how are they going to help me help my customers and how is it going to help me close deals? And the data matters too. I mean, you can have all those tools, but if the data isn't integrated, if it isn't accurate, if it isn't timely, all of those kinds of things, you're just managing garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. You just said what I wanted to say. Garbage in, garbage out. We have to make sure that there is data hygiene and that also... Mm that we are setting our reps up for success from a sales ops perspective. 
You were in sales before you started this business. How did you learn to be an effective salesperson? I learned by looking at how others doing it, the top performers. I learned by reading and attending conferences. I learned by joining groups, networking groups. I learned from my own mistakes, those oh darn moment where you're listening to yourself and you're cringing and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need to work on that. And so that self-awareness is such a gift. It's a painful gift. But when you really open up and look at some of the areas of your strength, but also areas that are gaps and that could be a liability in your future success and you work on it, those are some things that has helped me be where I am today. And I'm always learning. Like right now, JR, I'm learning from you, right? Every person we meet, we got to think through that growth mindset. Like, how can I learn from that person? Exactly. I completely agree, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place was just to interact with people I might not interact with. And even with people that I've known for many years, when you start going through their career process and hearing what they've done in more detail, why they made decisions, where they would do things differently, you just, you learn a lot from that. I agree. I agree. And I think the moment you feel like you've learned everything, especially in sales, the moment you think, man, I'm so great at it. I don't need to learn anymore. It's going to come back and bite you. Absolutely. So what were some of the mistakes or the tough lessons that you learned along the way? Oh, what did I learn? So, okay. So I sold to the wrong buyers, for example. I was working on a deal and I thought I was selling to the C-suite. So I thought, hey, they have the power to sign that check and get me that PO. Last minute, I learned that they it needed to go to the board. That was one instance. My mistake was I assumed, right? I didn't ask the question, what is your internal decision-making process look like? And I think that is one area where we tend to mess up because we assumed I also, there's something called what we call happy ears in sales. And this is where you listen to what you want to listen for. And that happens because we believe hope is a strategy. And we believe when our boss tells us, hey, is this deal going to close? Of course it's going to close. And then they start asking us questions and unpacking. And this is, again, an oh darn moment. Oh, wow. I was listening to what I wanted to listen for. And also just not being showing up and throwing up, right? Like I being so passionate toward your product that you show up and you think everyone loves your product, but let's step back. And I had to learn to step back and really get to know the person, what they care about, what their problems are, and then share with them how we can help them. So those were some mistakes among many others. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you're working with other sales organizations in a consulting capacity, when you go in, How do you diagnose what they're doing well and what they're not doing well? Yeah, I think there's informally, right? In the sales process, there's that discovery phase. The discovery Mm -hmm. phase in our sales process is where we're meeting with these stakeholders to determine, hey, what are they trying to achieve? What are their problems? What's the impact of these problems is not solved? What have they tried before? What has worked? How we can help them? So that's the informal part. And that discovery phase of the sales process especially in enterprise deals, it doesn't happen just by one meeting. There's several meetings. There's several decision makers in our sales process when you're doing enterprise complex deals. It could be up to 10 people, six to eight, to just go through that discovery. And there's a lot of decision makers that are part of it. Now, formally, what we do also is we go in and we actually objectively look at their pipeline. We interview folks. We try to identify, okay, what is working, what is not working, And also, how can we help them and address some of these areas of improvement? And some of it may not be something that I do. Some of it, they may need some other expertise to help them in certain areas as well. Are there common bad habits that you help them break? Yeah, I think from a skills perspective, uh, one of the things that I think we all struggle with as salespeople is talking less and listening more. I think the bad habit is we get in and we talk, talk, talk. So that's an area that we work through. 
We also work through how do we sell value? Like, what do we do? What's the preparation process look like to take an outside in perspective? And then when I get in front of you, how do I ask the right questions? How do I share the right insights? How do I position myself as a credible source? How do I embrace silence? How do I share these customer success stories that are relevant to you? So those are areas that we work on. Another area I think that reps that we all also find a challenge and including myself when I started my career is prospecting, generating leads constantly. It's a challenge because the rejection rate is high and it's psychologically challenging because imagine you're making so many calls, you're sending so many emails you're using social, you're doing everything, and yet you're, re- you're getting rejected or ghosted day after day after day. How do we work with them to help them? And also, folks are maybe using social selling, but they may not be optimizing it, where I can build familiarity, where I can position myself as a credible source. We work with our customers to help them not use it as a promotional tool, but really as a social selling tool. So these are some of the things that we work with our customers on. Explain that term, social selling, just for people who aren't as familiar. So social selling is in my, the way I look at it is the process of connecting with your customers and nurturing existing relationship, generating leads, using social media platforms that your customers are there. You got to go where your tribe is. So for B2B, our tribe is on LinkedIn. So how am I leveraging LinkedIn to build that familiarity, to generate leads, to nurture existing relationships? And it is a powerful, powerful tool. And I don't work for LinkedIn, but I've used it as a seller. And I've also trained on how folks can use it to effectively build that pipeline and also nurture existing relationships. We can't forget about our existing customers. Very true. So you've codified all of this into a book that you just published or just had published called Sales Essentials, the tools you need at every stage to close more deals and crush your quota. It's a great title. So what led to the book? If you look at my background, I am a research nerd. In fact, before I wanted to go into selling, I thought I wanted to be a researcher. And so It was natural for me to get to a point in my life where I wanted to provide the reps worldwide with this reference guide that includes the essentials and how to sell value in a way that is consumable and digestible. And not just because from my own learning, but I've been doing sales consulting for a long time, even before I opened my company. And so I was fortunate to see how top performers, how folks around the world have done it. What were the mistakes? What were the best practices? And to put it all in one place. And also something sound may sound cheesy, but I also wanted to give back. I have been helped throughout my life with amazing people that came across and helped me and mentored me and challenged my thoughts. And to me, I wanted to give back and I wanted anyone in the world that is listening to your podcast When they pick that book, they can see that, wow, I can also sell. I can change my life. That The the fundamentals is that you got to have the discipline, you got to be hungry, and you got to want to serve your customers. And I think everything else we can learn, the skills, you can learn it. You can definitely learn a lot about the sales process, but there is certainly an aspect of it that just you've got to really internalize what it means to be a salesperson. I think it goes back to your point about the human side of it and building a connection with people. It's more than about the product. It's also about you. I agree. And I think sometimes we tend to miss that as we yeah. you know, sell complex deals and the numbers start getting up more and more. And we have to step back, even in your negotiation, right? You got to remind yourself of the why, and you got to make sure that you're connecting with that person. And that changes the conversation from, hey, I got to close that deal because I need to meet my quota versus yeah. Hey, I got to close that deal because I know you have a timeline that you need to talk to your board about how you solve that problem. 
and we're here to help you, right? It changes the conversation. We got to be authentic about it because people can also see through you, right? Absolutely. So how did you choose to organize the book and how would it help somebody crush their quota? When I wrote the book, I wanted it again as a reference guide. And the way I wanted to create it is I wanted anywhere in the sales process, I took away all the jargons. I'm not a person that uses jargons or big words or branding words. I wanted to any person late term to pick up the book and figure out, hey, if I'm selling a deal, if I am before the sale, I'm going to go to this chapter. There are specific titles in that section that will help me and prepare for these meetings. And then during the sale, there are specific chapters such as discovery, such as doing a demo, such as closing the deal and negotiating. So the titles are so real and so practical that I wanted the rep to go to that chapter, read it really quickly, use the tools that I have included, and then go do their business and then come back and then say, okay, now I'm in the next phase of this conversation. Okay, Reina, what have you got around that? And I've heard reps that the way they're using it, JR, is that they actually put it in their laptop bag and right before they go into calls, they open that chapter and they're just reminding themselves of some of these best practices. So you were published by McCraw Hill. How did you sign with them and when in the writing process did that happen? Yeah, when the universe, when everything aligns, right, they reached out to me and I was recommended by it to them. I had actually already made up my mind that I'm writing a book and I started actually the process and I had envisioned what we need to do before, during and after the sale. And I started writing it and then they came along. And of course, they took it to the next level, right? That they asked questions, they challenged some of my thinking and I loved it because that's how you take things to the next level is when you have people asking the why or why not. And we got it to the finish line. Yeah, I mean, it's everybody I know who's published a book talks about it being a grueling process because they do come in. And even if you think you're a fantastic writer, they're going to find a million things they don't like about the way that you've organized it or your writing style or the examples you use or whatever. And it just, it goes back to your point about prospecting, right? It's similar writing. Potentially you're going to get a lot of rejection from publishing houses and you're going to get a lot of feedback that you might not really want to hear about what you've written. And that people find that psychologically hard. I was so blessed and fortunate that I worked with an amazing editor that was so professional. And even when she gave me advice and input and insight, we formed this relationship where we were collaborating on our book. In fact, we called it our baby book because we are creating something. So I'm fortunate that I haven't experienced the other side of where it was more of, no, you do it my way. There was a lot of collaboration and conversations Hmm. and it made the product. It was a partnership. It was a total partnership because it made the product something that we both are very proud of. That's great. How's it gone so far? You just released the book in June, so it hasn't been all that long yet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so far I'm happy and I'm very humbled when we released it several times. It made it to the number one new release in Amazon's business sales category, even before we released it when we start talking about pre-order the network, right? When you do the right thing for your customers, people show up for you. So the pre-order phase was amazing. And then when we released it in June, it made it again to the number one new release. And I think the first week it made it to number one bestseller in Amazon's business sales category. I have the screenshots, JR. (laughs) And so it has been a great experience. Now, what I would tell you, the best experience has been is when I get emails from sellers that really this book has helped them and that are talking about it and that when they see me in conferences or when they see me 
on LinkedIn, they're reaching out and they're giving their input. And I love it because I think we as a community need to be having a two-way conversations and learning from one another. And I just, I think that's what makes my heart happy. Yeah. I mean, it's great when you feel like the thing that you've worked so hard on creating is actually bringing value to people and they're taking the time to actually tell you that. Yeah. Because in the world, we hear a lot about the nay, right? Like people complaining. And so when you see positivity and when you see people cheering you on, even a stranger, right? That to me says a lot about our community in sales. So alongside all of that, you also co-founded Women in Sales Enablement, WISE. So tell our audience a little bit about that. Yeah. So along with three amazing co-founders, we found WISE, which really brings women in sales enablement from all around the world together to learn, to grow, and really important to celebrate one another. We started it by accident. I mean, it wasn't like something we planned, but then it grew as a community and we opened it up for everyone. How much are you involved with it at this point? I know that you've got so many other things on your plate. Yes, great question. So last year, we started recruiting global leads that Mm. are actually taking it to the next level. And I'm still in the background. If they have any questions, the co-founders are still in the background with any questions, with any insights. But we have an amazing, amazing global lead, ladies in sales enablement that are doing amazing things in our community. And this is what WISE is. WISE is not about one person staying and getting all of the glory. WISE is about embracing collaboration, growing other women. And that's part of our process. And it also shows in how we're handing it over and letting it fly with these amazing women that are taking it to the next level. I had similar conversation with somebody who I interviewed way back at the beginning of my podcast who started a group basically for women who were in the restaurant business during COVID as they were kind of helping each other figure out how to get through the pandemic. And she describes a similar journey. It's called Let's Talk Women. And all these chapters have developed and it's really kind of taken off. And again, it's a little bit hard to see your baby kind of go beyond your personal ability to be deeply involved in it anymore. But when you see these leads, as you were describing, working to help build chapters around the world and spread the gospel, if you will, is a great thing. I love it. I love seeing it. When we started WISE, we were four women that wanted to go out for dinner in South Austin and have a meal and talk through enablement. It was supposed to be in one hour. It ended up being four or five hours. We have to be moved outside of the restaurant. And in that moment, we recognized we were learning, but we're also having fun and we're being authentic. We're being ourselves. And so the next day we asked ourselves, hey, do you want to do it again? And next meeting, bring a friend. And so someone brought a friend and then other people on LinkedIn saw it and they started wanting to grow and to grow the movement. So it's been amazing. So let's talk about your career journey. You've mentioned that you grew up around entrepreneurs, but what did you envision yourself doing professionally when you were a kid? Yeah, I think our age group, you don't think about, hey, I want to be in sales. I think today's environment, there are some amazing sales college programs. But when I was growing up, I wanted to be a researcher. I was a nerd. I love, love, love to learn and find solutions to problems. And that's what I wanted to be. I didn't know what that would translate to, but that's what I wanted to do. But you did have some childhood experience in sales, right? Yes. So my sweet dad. So I was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon, suburbs of Beirut. When I was 11 years old, my dad sold life insurance policies. And I remember wanting, he had an appointment and it was at a beach house, a customer's beach house. And I wanted to go to that beach. Somehow, I don't remember the details, but I somehow convinced my dad to take me with him. At that moment, I didn't know that this is going to impact me later in life. 
But the way my dad conducted his business, the way my dad prepared, the way my dad talked to these customers, the way my dad cared about people and making sure that they got the right solution. I think later on, as I started remembering kind of what I learned in sales and who I learned it from, that experience definitely stuck out for me. Yeah. I mean, my father was in sales as well. And I can remember getting dragged is probably the best way to describe it to a a few of his sales meetings when he took me out to look for colleges or look at colleges. So we were traveling through part of his sales territory and he was popping in to see some of his customers along the way. And I think I was so visibly bored that I got a dressing down when we got back out to the car that I was like yawning too much. And it was probably at that moment that I realized that maybe I wasn't really cut out for sales. Such a funny story. And you know what? Your dad did the right thing because anytime we travel anywhere, that's all I'm thinking of is, okay, where are my customers? Where can I see them? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you studied public relations though in college. So how did you end up zeroing in on that? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the honest reason is I was on my third year of being computer science major and I was so tired of sitting in these computer labs and spending days sometimes trying to find a small syntactical errors. I mean, we didn't have the tools that you do right now where you automate, you can find some of these. So I was programming in C++, Java, I think even COBOL. And I remember in my middle of my junior year, recognizing, man, I can't do this. Like I'm a people person. What am I thinking? Like I cannot do it. And when you're almost like almost crying, sitting next to that computer, you recognize okay, I need to go, I need to look at what makes me happy and not look at the dollar signs because I think when you find your passion, the money will follow. And that's when I had this aha moment where, man, I love to write. I love to interview people just like you, JR. And I love to be around people and tell their stories. And that's where naturally I met with my counselor and that's where I landed. So you've talked a little bit about some of the jobs that you had along the way, but give a little bit more of a sense of the kinds of things that you did in between college and starting the consulting. Oh my gosh. So I was a bank teller. My first real job was a bank teller, which was so important when I look back because it taught me about being a frontline employee and the customer service of it. So it was a really great boot camp. had great leaders that I learned from. I was a marketing assistant in healthcare. I was a marketing specialist. I was a content developer creating enablement programs. I was a VP of business development. I was an SVP of sales. And so all of that has really shaped me on being the person that I am today from a professional perspective. Are there any particular experiences that really stand out when you look back? There are so many of them. And I I was thinking about this. I think each experience to me built upon itself to where I am today. As I mentioned, being a teller, and it's been many years ago that I was a teller, but being a bank teller when I was 18, 19 years old, taught me about the importance of actively listening, the importance of telling people's name and remembering people's name, the importance of building trust really quickly with a customer that just walks in to cash their check, the importance Mm -hmm. of conflict resolution when someone's check is bounced and you have to tell them or they don't have their ID. So that part helped me. And then marketing, marketing to me helped me in making sure that I understand my buyer persona and the importance of research and tailoring your value proposition. And then, of course, content development helped me create programs that I create today. And then sales, oh my gosh, it helped me build a business. I mean, all of that, I think, prepared me to where I am today, the good and also the hard times as well. I describe sometimes the analogy of the boy becomes the man and slumdog millionaire who's playing, who wants to be a millionaire. 
And all of these questions that are coming from all of these seemingly random directions all had some linkage to some past experience in his life. And it's not a perfect analogy, but I've always felt the same way that everything I've done, and I've done some different things too over the years, you learn from all of those experiences and your professional approach is an amalgamation of work for you and what hasn't worked for you and the things you've done right and the things that you've done wrong. And you can learn from any job you have, even when you don't appreciate it at the time. I totally agree with you. I think, and I always tell, I have two boys and I tell my kids that if you take one thing out of your life, it will change the trajectory of where you're at. And so you have to go through some of that pains. You have to go through some of that growth that will lead you to a point where you say, okay, wow, okay, I made it. I'm proud of myself. I did this and this, but you can't take those pains out. We were having a funny conversation with coworkers. I was out with coworkers at dinner one point last year, and somebody asked the question like, what was the worst job you've ever had? Which is funny because you all go back to those things that you did when you were younger. And one woman in our group who's about five feet tall, maybe a little bit taller, she said, well, I slaughtered animals. And we're all like, you win. Like this is the end of the conversation's over. Nobody's going to top that. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look back on your career so far, what are the consistent strengths that you've drawn on again and again? Yeah, I think discipline and hard work, because sometimes you're not motivated. I mean, if people are saying, oh, motivation is going to get you successful. Some days you wake up and you're like, oh, man. But if you have the discipline and the stamina and the hard work to keep going, I know that this is one of my competitive differentiators that I can't outwork people, right? Mm. That's something that I've learned from my immigrant family, from people that I've been raised around, that this is a speed, is a competitive differentiator. Hard work is you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. But if you don't have that hard work and that hunger, that you can miss out. So that's one. Customer centricity is another thing. I've always, and I think it's part of my marketing background. I always look at the customer at the center of the universe and try to figure out, well, how can we help them? How can we approach them? What are they thinking of? What's that day in the life? And then intense curiosity to learn. I think I love to learn. And to me, it's kind of like, so tell me, what did you do in your life? Talk to me about this. Talk. Always, always that researcher brain is working. And sometimes it's really tiring though, because you can't turn it off. Yeah. A lot of people who I ask that question of, we'll talk about intellectual curiosity. And I think it helps a lot, right? Because it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You can learn from any conversation. Having the growth mindset is about learning. And so having that inherent curiosity about things and being open to challenging your views and maybe refining your thinking is something that I think benefits people as a strength for those who do have that. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. What were some of the things that you've had to focus on developing along the way? And how do you go about that? Part of my problem, because I, I'm fast and I want to get things done and I want to keep going, is earlier on in my career, it was harder for me to delegate. And I had mm. to learn that because I thought I was faster and I thought I could do it better. But the reality of it, I learned that I'm not. That if I delegate to the right people and if I have a process in place, that actually the product and the outcome ends up being better. So delegating was one of these areas. And I really found that out through coaching and through having a career coach and working through doing a 360 assessment and determining, okay, what is my strength and what are areas of weaknesses that will be a liability for my growth? And if you can't delegate, you can't lead effectively, right? So that's one of it. The second thing is not expecting everything to be done yesterday. That's something that I'm constantly working through and that I had to learn as well. And to also make sure that not everything is a sense of urgency. In sales, it's awesome, right? Because if you're always like on, 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 you're going to close deals. But if when you're leading, you want to make sure that you have a balance of things. There are some things that we're going to be working all weekends and all of us are going to be doing it. But there are right. some things that are really not to that extent. 
Was there a point at which you had a particularly big challenge in your career that you had to work on overcoming? Yeah. One of the challenges that I face is when I was trying to complete my PhD with two kids under the age of five and getting that first chapter back and it's all red and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this happen? So this experience has taught me grit. It also taught me to integrate my personal life and my professional life. I mean, my kids did not get the nursery stories. They got marketing books. Chapter (laughs) one, I was reading to them about buyers and segmentation. And so I had to integrate my personal life and my professional life. And it really taught me also to push myself. It's very easy to give up when you're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And to address, to overcome this challenge, I think that the number one thing I had is the support of people around me that really supported me. I built a network of folks that were going through similar experiences. I had a partner and a husband that was there for me, pushing me. And I also had to always go back to my why. Why am I doing this? And so that helped me get through. And every time I face a challenge, I go back to that time. I'm like, okay, I can do it with two little kids and defend that dissertation. Then I can do anything. Are there routines or habits that have helped you? Yes. So one of them is waking every day and having the mindset that I am going to be successful. I am going to prospect continuously. I am going to be disciplined in terms of following the sales process and trusting that sales process. And also, I always show up. One of the things that I teach salespeople is how you show up matters. Are you prepared? Have you done your homework? Do you understand the purpose of that meeting? Do you have some of the questions that you want to ask them? Have you identified some insights you want to share, some customer success stories? So being prepared is also something that has helped me be where I am today. You mentioned running before we started recording. Is that how you recharge your battery or are there other things that are important to you? I'm like you. You're a runner and a hiker. I'm only a runner, but I do. I've been running, man, since I was, I think, seven years old. And to me, it was the cheapest sport, all you need is the running shoes and and you run. And so I learned that early on in my life and it stayed with me till now. I ran my first marathon last year. I run several half marathons every year. Another thing that I also wanted to share with your viewer is in the last few years, I'm starting every year to find something that scares me that I don't know how to do. And I try to learn. And this year is swimming. I've never learned how to swim. So I hired a coach and happy to say that I actually am swimming 50 meters, but it's such a great way to challenge yourself and to really humble yourself. To me, it's really important that every now and then you shock your system. Partly it's about getting comfortable being uncomfortable as the expression goes. And in grit, Angela Duckworth describes it as doing a hard thing, right? She makes everybody in her family pick a hard thing that they're going to do, and they can't give it up other than at natural breakpoints. And so they all have like that hard thing that they're always working on. So it's an interesting idea that I took away from that book. I love it. I love it. I think all of us, in order to grow, you got to embrace discomfort. And there's so many times where I wanted to quit. It's telling yourself, okay, the grit, right? I can do it. I can do it. Absolutely. Last question. If you could give advice to your younger self, what advice would you share? Lots of advice. The one that stood out for me is to be present and not always thinking of what's next. Mm. I think as an entrepreneur and also as someone that is an achiever, and you see that with folks that are always trying to achieve and grow, is that they're always thinking of that next thing. And I had to learn as I got older that, man, be present. You just, for example, I just published my book, be present, enjoy it. And it takes me a little bit more. I mean, I'm still working on that. Well, and that's something, I mean, you didn't bring it up a minute ago in terms of 
what you need to do as a salesperson, but certainly you talked about preparing and all of that, but being present in the moment makes a huge difference. You can tell when a salesperson is not into it, right? They may have a great product that they believe in. They may be a really effective salesperson, but if they are not enough on when they're with you, they may blow an opportunity. Yeah. And my presence, JR, is where I close the deal instead of celebrating and saying, wow, good job. Okay. What's next? What's next? Yeah. What's next? What's next? And so I had to learn to kind of embrace those wins and be like, okay, let's take a deep breath and let's be present and enjoy yeah. that experience. Yeah. I'm a bit like that as well. And it's something I'm still working on. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. I appreciate your time. It's good to hear about your business and your book and wise and the other things you've been doing. And I wish you the best of luck and all of it going forward. Thank you. Thank you for having me, for having a place for folks to learn from one another and for taking time with me today. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Raina for joining me today to discuss her focus on sales effectiveness and how it's played a role in her own career journey and in her consulting work. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular career insights, become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow Pathwise on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.